Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. All right. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Brandon Amon. Uh, Brandon is the head writer and executive producer of the new Star Wars animated television series, uh, Star Wars Resistance, as well as TMNT 2012. He's also a filmmaker and a Marvel writer known for Iron Man, Avengers, Spider-Man, and various Marvel DTVs. Uh, So Brandon, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This is great. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it and super excited to have you uh, on board. Um, Obviously, exciting with uh, Star Wars Resistance, um, you know, just coming out. So how are you feeling about all that? Oh, man, I'm super excited. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of a sort of mind-blowing, like, just the fact I get to be a part of Star Wars in any capacity is pretty awesome. Definitely. So, tell us real quick, I'm assuming you're in Los Angeles right now? Uh, yeah, I'm in L.A. And did you grow up there, or, like, what brought you specifically to L.A.? Um, well, I went to uh, college at the uh, University of the Arts in Philadelphia, and I also studied at the School of uh, uh, the School Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Um, basically, I studied, like, film, animation, and I did some painting as well. Uh, strangely enough, I didn't do, you know, I was always, I've I've always been a writer. Like I've always, you know, written short stories and scripts and made short films, like even back in high school. But, um, but I kind of want to just combine all those things and really become a filmmaker animator. Um, and then, uh, eventually I was just like, well, I have to, you know, I have to make the leap. I always wanted to, you know, make the leap to go to Los Angeles. I mean, that's where everything's getting done. So, um, after school, uh, I came out here and, um, you know, it was, it was a bit of a struggle at first. Yeah, you know, I just kept writing scripts. Um, I submitted scripts everywhere. Didn't hear back from anyone. <laughs> and then I, I entered like a uh, like a screenwriting competition, and I made like um, the first two cuts. And then I didn't make the last cut, but that was still enough. It still gave me sort of enough fire to just kind of keep going. Um, yeah, and then I and then I, I, I got into you know making films. I. Uh, actually wrote and produced a feature that never got finished, like a sci- like a low-budget sci-fi uh, feature, but we never finished it. We ran out of money. Like, we only had, like, you know, we had, like, less than a million to make it, like a few hundred thousand. Um, but then the post it couldn't finish that. And then, uh, and then I kind of just made my way into animation um, while still doing film and, and writing scripts and things like that and writing for a couple of, like, small production companies, um, you know, and doing some book, getting hired to do some book adaptations and things like that. But basically, like, none of the films were getting made. They were just sitting on shelves. So I kind of got into animation um, because I loved it. And it was like, that was one of my majors. But also just to get stuff made (laughs) because, you know, it's it's just very difficult in Hollywood, like getting anything made. Even if you're a super successful writer, a lot of times your scripts are going to sit on a shelf. So um, I thought animation was a great... And, you know, it's just a great outlet, and I just love it. Wow. And specifically regarding Star Wars, did you grow up watching Star Wars? Was that one of your goals? Did you set out to be a Star Wars animated writer? I know you worked for TMNT. Well, I mean, yeah, not not really. Uh, I mean, as a kid, I've never even thought I'd be in any capacity involved in Star Wars. <laughs> but, um, but same thing with TMNT. I mean... The fa- you know, the fact that I got to work on a lot of these great franchises is just a huge honor. But yeah, I never expected that. Like, uh, 
I got into um, when I got into animation. I started off at Disney, and um, we were I was working on a show called Super Robot Monkey Team Hyperforce Go. Um, that was my first show, and uh, from there I went to Nickelodeon, and I worked on a couple of shows there, and um, and then I got the call from my manager if I was interested in doing you know Marvel stuff, and I was like, well, heck yeah! I mean, I grew up reading tons of comic books. Um, you know, like I was a huge Spider-Man, Iron Man, Avengers fan. So I started working on a show for Chris Yost um, called Iron Man Armored Adventures. Now, Chris Yost is the guy that wrote um, a bunch of the Thor movies. Um, and he also, you know, started off as an anim- as a Marvel animation writer as well before he moved into the feature world. You know, um, he wrote Thor the Dark World and um, and he wrote the uh, the original story for Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok. But super good guy, uh, gave me a shot at Marvel. Um, when he went on to do Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, he recommended me to do Iron Man Armored Adventures Season 2 to take over from him. So I did that. But then he also wanted me to write on Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and I started working for him on that as well. Um, and then from there, uh, Marvel just kept asking me back to do stuff. Like, um, you know, I wrote some GTVs for those guys. They actually hit me up pretty early on to do um, uh, Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, and Marvel Spider-Man. And they also asked me to do Guardians of the Galaxy. But at the time that I had moved over to um, to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back at Nickelodeon, which was a huge, huge blast. And then after that, I started developing Rise of the TMNT, uh, which is the new version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But I got the call at the same time to do Star Wars Resistance, and I was like, oh, yeah, heck yeah. And I jumped over. And basically kind of left Rise of the TMNT behind and started working on, uh, started developing and writing Star Wars Resistance. So when you say you got a call to do Star Wars Resistance, what's that look like? That's like an interview? That's a... Um, that's more like, I mean, you know, it was like, hey, do you want to come in and talk to uh, Lucasfilm about a new Star Wars animated show? And I was like, I was like, of course. <laughs> yeah. And so I got that call through my, my manager. Um, and I sat down... Um, with those guys at the Lucasfilm office in Burbank, which is at the Disney lot. And I met with those guys and I really hit it off. And then from there, um, then they flew me up north to Lucasfilm in San Francisco. And I met with Carrie Hart and Dave Filoni. Um, and we got along really well. Like I spent most of my time talking to Dave about Godzilla movies <laughs> and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, we just, from there, just it was just like a bullet like we just we just jumped into it and and i I remember going on vacation that summer uh me and my girlfriend went to italy and uh, i was i was writing while i was on vacation basically (laughs) and then yeah just from there yeah and then then it took off but it's just been an amazing experience like everybody at lucasfilm was so great and pretty much everywhere where it worked i've been really lucky like everywhere you know has been pretty fantastic experience like across the board you know it's i've been i've been you know i've been lucky although in the beginning of my career when i was like really trying to make it like there was just a lot of frustration a lot of like how am i ever going to break in like how is this ever going to happen it just felt like nobody was you know receptive you know you'd send a script in you you wouldn't you just wouldn't hear back (laughs) so um so it's been quite a journey Quite a, a crazy journey. What would you say attributed to you eventually breaking through? Was it networking? Would you say, was it getting a manager? Yeah, it was like me submitting a lot 
And, um, and then finally, the, the thing that really changed my career was when I was able to land a manager. When, when you have somebody at a management company that believes in you, that's the thing. Like you have to really get an agent because you can't even really submit scripts without an agent. It's very difficult. Like trying to get in anywhere without representation is almost impossible. So if you can kind of like, really, it's just how adamant you want to be. Like if, if I know a lot of people who are writers, they write a couple of scripts, then they submit, nothing happens, and then they just kind of give up. But it takes sort of like a relentless, you just have to be relentless. Like it just takes like this endless trying to get in the door, like just, and you can't just knock on the door. You have to like kind of beat the door down. You have to pester people. You have to make yourself into a massive pain and, uh, and just kind of, you know, not give up, um, which is like any career. Like if you're an actor, you know, if a couple of, if, if, if you have a thin skin and, and you can't take rejection or you can't take people um, criticizing your work, then you might as well not even be in the business because once you're in, you're always going to have people criticize your work anyway. On either side of the door, you're going to have people criticizing your work and giving you notes or, or saying that, uh, and you just kind of have to just blow it off, like just brush it off. Like for, for me, when I was younger, it was much harder and I was, I got hurt far more frequently and just, you know, but I knew that I couldn't really do anything else and that I had to do this. And so I just kept pushing it and pushing it until finally things started clicking. But it takes, yeah, like a certain amount of relentlessness and, and self-delusion <laughs> and, uh, you know, thinking that, you know, no matter what, this is going to happen for me. That's good. Like you want that, like you want to just keep just plugging away at it until you somehow, and if, and if getting through the door means working as an intern until you can get some, somebody's attention on the writing staff, or if you can get in the door by working on production, like if you can become a script coordinator, then you can make the transition. Or if it's just being relentless and pestering a showrunner to read your script and hope that something happens or getting a manager that way. You just have to constantly work your butt off to try and get through the door. And once you're through the door, then you have to just keep working as hard. Like you just have to keep working incredibly hard um, to keep up. Um, I remember working for this production company. I was, uh, I wrote a you know script for them and they, they really liked it. And then they hired me to do a book adaptation. And then, then that got shelved. It didn't happen. But then they, um, then I had a couple of other scripts that they were interested in and they tried to get those made. And this was like, you know, this was a little over like 10 years ago, right before, you know, a lot of the indie companies just sort of went belly up. Like they just started disappearing. And so, you know, I realized I was like, oh man, this is just, it's going to be harder than ever now because the big, the only thing that's really surviving in, fe- in the feature world is these giant tentpole monster right. movies, you know, these huge movies that like, you know, it's, it's going to be Transformers or this or that, whatever already has a built-in audience. Like, and we still see that, like the indie world sort of <laughs> largely has been depleted and it's just like big tentpole type movies. It's, it's, it's harder than ever to get like your, your small movie made. Um, and I don't know if that'll change. I don't know if it'll ever come back to like, there still be another indie boom. I hope. Um, it usually comes in cycles, but because I'm more interested in doing like when it comes to the feature world, you know, smaller, smaller kind of like more intimate, like just cooler things that, you know, cooler projects that you have more creative control over. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the bulk of sort of like my arc of where I was like, and, but I'm still always writing feature stuff. I love horror movies, science fiction films. So I'm, I'm, while I'm working on things, you know, especially animated projects, I'm also working on live action projects and still trying to get some of those going. So it's always going to be, a, it's always a struggle no matter what. 
Yeah. And for where you're at now, you're both an executive producer and a head writer as well. And were you that for TMNT as well? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how do those two roles differ for those listening who might not know? Well, with executive, like if you're, if you're just a writer, like you'll just usually like, or even a story editor. So it goes from like a writer, say you're a staff writer and then you're, so you're pretty much going to, you're going to come into work. You're going to, um, you're going to help, you know, you're going to work with a story editor and you're going to contribute on scripts, but you're mainly going to just stick to your scripts, the scripts that you write. And maybe you'll write, read some other, you know, scripts and give a couple of notes, but that's more of the job of the, the story editor. The story editor is sort of the one who reads all the scripts that come in from freelancers or staff writers, gives notes, and then, um, you know, and kind of just pushes things forward. So then the next step would be executive producer. So executive producer has more control, usually um, is the one who, you know, is, is also essentially the head writer. If you're a, you know, executive producer slash head writer, that's what you do. You, you come up with the entire arc of the season. You, uh, you know, you assign the, you'll, you'll assign the scripts out. You'll, uh, you sort of function also as a story editor by, you know, reading through scripts, giving notes, or rewriting if you have to. There's a lot of rewriting that's done. But then there's other jobs that an executive producer would do that a story editor wouldn't do. For instance, you'll sit down and you'll go over animatics, you know, which are essentially storyboards put together kind of in like this rough form that looks sort of like a little episode of just, you know, it's basically animated storyboards without any real animation just to kind of block shots and kind of get a sense of the flow and the pace. And if it's all working, you know, there'll be some temp music and the voices will be there, but it's all just sort of very rough. So I'll sit there and I'll give notes for those or I'll be like, yeah, this isn't working or this shot's kind of strange or this doesn't really help with the story. We can lose this. This is getting a little slow. So usually you sit down with the director and the other executive producer. The other EP will generally be like almost like the head director in a way. So, but then, you know, also go to records, you know, help uh, help uh, direct records or, or just be a part of the recording process, um, you know, with the voice actors. You know, I'll, uh, I'll, we'll do a handout, like when the script is finished, we'll sit down with the board artists and sort of explain what we're looking for. It's, it's basically those, those types of jobs. It's almost to a certain degree, you're, you're a bit of a director in that process. Um, uh, yeah, and then... And then when the episode comes back um, and it's fully animated, you sit there and you watch it um, with all the voices and maybe some more temp music. And you'll see if it's all working, if it's all coming together. And you'll give notes on the final round, um, you know, of the of, of when the animation is, is full and, and complete. So you'll give final notes. You'll be like, eh, we need to pick up some of these voices. Like, that, that's a little low or I don't think that'll come out in the mix. So, you know, we should like, we should probably re-record that or maybe we can get some ADRs have somebody from off screen say something here, or, or maybe we just need to reanimate this sequence because it's not working, you know, um, which is what you don't want to happen. You don't have to reanimate once animation is done. Usually try and figure out tricks to kind of help it along. Um, yeah. And that's, that's pretty much, I've worked as, you know, as all three, um, I've worked all three jobs. Basically I've worked as a staff writer, a story editor, and then I worked my way up to uh, executive producer. How long did it take to kind of work your way through those roles? Um, for me, I was I was actually lucky. Like uh, I I was pretty lucky. Like I went from st- in my first the first job I got I went from staff writer to story editor was in about a season, um, which was pretty which is pretty good because sometimes it'd be work you could work staff writer jobs for years and years and then and if you're lucky then you get a story editor job on on a show. Um, but I was I was lucky. My first job I, I jumped up to story editor and then my next job I was story editor. 
and then I did some freelance stuff and then I was offered, you know, the role of, Hey, you know, season two of Iron Man, you want to, you want to be story editor? Um, I'm like, yeah, heck yeah. Um, and then doing those Marvel jobs, you know, doing some of those DTVs and some of those other development jobs. Um, they always offered me role of like story editor, you know, slash maybe co-executive producer or something like that. Um, and then I started getting like sort of small, like, producer type jobs like associate producer on this or something I was developing but then I went to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I and I uh I became story editor pretty much like right off the bat um and then within about a season or so they offered me executive producer and I was like wow okay yeah that's great I would love that that's what I'm working towards and so you know I I Stayed with Ninja Turtles for a few more years, um, and then yeah, like I was saying earlier, um, then made the the jump to uh, you know to Star Wars, which was just like completely mind blowing because I just didn't think that that was something like that would ever happen. You know, it was just such a mind blowing kind of like thing, and just getting to work with you know Lucasfilm and Dave Filoni and Justin Ridge, and you know, like it was it was it's it's been quite a ride so far, so it's been pretty neat. Would you mind if we break down uh, the steps that you were kind of describing overall for that role as like an executive producer and a head writer? Sure. We could use uh, maybe Star Wars Resistance or TMT, sure. maybe both. Yeah, yeah, maybe both. Okay, so, you know, an animated TV series, you get, the, you get the job. At what point in the process are you involved in coming up with that story? Is it already kind of prepackaged? Where do you even begin? Well, with TMNT, like, um, season one was already kind of, like, rolling around, like, was, was, was already kind of in place. So I came in more on, like, season two, um, you know, a story editor, because they had actually fired, they got rid of um, two executive producers who were already uh, in place there. And so I came on board, and they had a new executive producer, and then they hired me as a new story editor. Um, and then within about a year, um, they they basically bumped me up to executive producer like they liked my work they thought i was pretty integral to the process with star wars um you know i came in uh there had already been like months and months of development on in terms of the look um what it looked like so they showed me artwork and they're like this is the show that we want and this is and and it's kind of it was dave filoni you know who dave filoni created clone wars with um george lucas and rebels obviously so he already had the show he already had resistance sort of in his head like he knew what he wanted, he knew that he wanted it, it, he wanted it to be a bit lighter and brighter, but it's still very Star Wars. Like I think some of the trailers make it feel very like really kiddie and kind of comedy, but it's very it still has a lot of drama. But you know the thing that Dave always talked about was I want to make it fun. Like I want to bring this back. You know I want this to be for kids and and Star Wars fans in general. But like he felt that maybe like you know with Rebels it got too dark and the kids sort of felt a little bit you know maybe pushed aside for some of the older fans that like more of the, the kind of the darker aspects and the more mature elements but he was like look i want to like bring it back to how i felt when i was a kid when i watched star wars for that very first time you know like and he wanted a character like a lead character that felt sort of like luke and han and, and but it was his own but still had it you know was very specific and very you know a very new unique character to the star wars uh, universe so when i came on board i was like there's a lot of stuff that was already in place then we started working on it together we started developing more of it fleshed out the world really kind of like you know i got to really kind of helped bring these characters to life, um, named a bunch of new characters, 
uh, created a bunch of new characters. Um, so it's, 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 it's always a collaborative process. Like whatever it is that I, that I, that I work on, it's like, it's, especially when it comes to more of these franchise kind of, you know, if it's Marvel stuff, if it's like Iron Man or, you know, Spider-Man, there's only so much new kind of material you're going to come up with because you want to really use, especially the Marvel world, you, you usually use the characters that are already in place. You know, it's like, you know, already we've got Peter Parker and Doc Ock and we've got, you know, all these, you know, if it's Iron Man, you know, you've already got like Mandarin or, or, you know, whatever, like, you know, or the guards, you know, the guardsmen or whatever it is that, that, um, that that's there, you kind of borrow from that world already. So, um, but, and I think that's why a lot of the, these sort of like the, these companies that have these franchises already in place, you know, sort of reach out to me um, because I'm kind of, you know, I guess that's sort of like one of my, one of my talents is I'm good at sort of taking stuff that exists. But with the Star Wars show, you know, obviously elements were already in place or already in development. And, you know, and then there's characters like Poe and Captain Phasma and like DB-8 and, you know, General Organa, like those characters are already in place. But for me, the f- most fun aspect is getting to help develop, and bring these new characters to life to interact with these classic characters, these legacy characters or these new characters that are, um, you know, are in the part of the new world and getting to work with like Oscar Isaac and Gwendolyn Christie, and, you know, like it's just, it's pretty mind blowing. Like, uh. And then, you know, sitting in these records with them and getting and kind of playing off of them, <laughs> like getting to read in Oscar Isaac <laughs> while I'm reading like <laughs> Leia Organa's lines. And he's like playing off of me like I'm like actually Leia Organa. <laughs> that, that's pretty neat. Or I'm beeping as BB-8 and he's like looking down, looking at me and be like, come on, baby, let's go. Let's get out of here. You know, like, like it, it kind of gave me chills. It's just weird. It's like, hey, I'm playing Star Wars with an actual Star Wars actor. And getting paid for it, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I would probably do it for free. But just, I mean, that's the that's the craziest part. It's like, wow, they're actually paying me for this. Like, I would just volunteer for free and do this um, because that's how much I love, you know, the world. Yeah, and then as far as you know, as you develop um, and, and start to create, what the season's going to look like? Are you, from a writing perspective, looking at it from okay, what's the arc of the season? Working your way backwards? Are you breaking it down episode by episode? What's that structure look like from a writing perspective? Usually for me, it's like, it really depends on the series that you're working on. Like with TMNT, like there was a real push with Nickelodeon, like to make, you know, like the series, the season feel largely standalone, like episodes would feel standalone, but because, you know, they just didn't know if they were going to air out of order or they just like the idea of like, look, you just come into it, you know, you know, and this is just, it's a standalone. You don't have to like worry about this giant arc. You know, so they kind of pushed us away from any kind of big arc, although we still had big arcs like throughout the season, like if it was like the rise of Shredder or, you know, whatever it was. And then with Star Wars, it's like, to me, though, that's always difficult because as soon as you get deeper and deeper into like a season, there's always going to be no matter what, like an arcs to it. And, and there's going to be things that have happened previously that you want to reference. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act of like saying, OK, this is still kind of standalone, but it's it has, still has to function in some kind of an arc. Um, but, you know, with, with something like Star Wars, um, you know, we definitely talk about arcs. We talk about still like wanting to keep something standalone-ish, but really you can't like, well, like we did, we stopped talking about, you know, standalone episodes <laughs> fairly early on. We just, to us, it's the more, the bigger concern is like the character, like, um, you know, like, like making the, uh, like making, making, like paying off the characters and like who they are and like where they're coming from and like where they're going and like, and, and there's just so much, it's, 
it just became serialized. Like with Star Wars, it, 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 you, you can't get away from it. Like if you guys watch Rebels or even Clone Wars, like Clone Wars early on, like season one, like felt a little bit more standalone or at least kind of grouped as little, you know, episodes that kind of played off each other. But it was still kind of like you could watch them in like little bunches. And then it got more and more arc heavy. That's just what happens with like almost any show. Like you, you kind of, you know, these characters, it's like they're meeting new characters and those characters are going to, characters they're going to meet are going to come back. So, and like an arc is gonna. So I always get scratch my head when like networks say well, we want a standalone series. I'm like, it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but with Star Wars, yeah, it's, it's um, and even TMNT, it's it's like we just had to let stories play out and kind of, and then organically they kind of play out on their own. Like they kind of you sort of infusing a life into the in, into these these arcs, and then thing, and then and then the arc starts living on its own. And you're just kind of fighting to catch up with what's going on. Um, things start playing out and you're like, okay, this is where it obviously has to go in this direction. And then sometimes you throw in a, throw in a curveball and you're like, okay, let's, let's do this then. And let's make this happen. And then, oh, this is crazy. Let's do this. So yeah, it's, it becomes like you're, you know, it almost like creates a life of its, of, of its own. And then you're sort of writing to kind of, you know, catch up with it. And, 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 and you're, you know, it's, it's, it becomes alive basically. That's how I kind of put it. And I imagine there's a writer's room. What's your relationship to the to the writers in the writer's room? How does that dynamic kind of play out? Well, on TMNT, we didn't have one. Um, we I just basically like came up with all the stories myself, um, or I would you know pitch some of the ideas to the other EP. And uh, but for the most part, I was just working out the stories on my own. And then on Star Wars, we have a writer's room, so we meet up at um, either Lucasfilm, you know, Skywalker Ranch one of those places and then we'll, we'll get together with the writers. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and usually we'll, 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 we'll write, we'll come up with five episodes at a time and uh, we'll talk about the bigger arcs. Like we'll say, we, we usually know where we, we, we want to get to by the end of a season. Like we're like, well, this is the place that we want to get to, but how we get there isn't always like so dictated. It's like, you know, it's, it's usually we do it in, 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 in spurts of like five episodes each. And then we think, okay, and we have a sense of where it's going to go. Like, we knew at the beginning of season one where it was going to go by the end of season one for Star Wars. On TMNT, like, the various, like, the, I would kind of, like, come up with certain ideas and, like, say, okay, I know by the end of, say, this season, I know the Shredder's going to die and that Splinter's going to die and that, um, and that the Turtles are going to seek revenge for, the, for Splinter's death and, and try and kill Shredder. <laughs> that show got dark pretty quickly, um, uh, and, and that's a Nickelodeon show. But it got as, as sort of cute and appealing as it looked. It got pretty dark. Um, you know, characters died. There was a lot, a lot of you know. We we actually took it back to the original, like you know, Eastman and Laird comic book. That was a, the bigger inspiration than even like the eighties and nineties show that I grew up on. But like we actually went back to the source because um, it was just more dramatic and you know but we had tons of references to like the 80s and 90s i mean our version of tmnt actually met the 80s and 90s version of tmnt like in a cross parallel dimension it was pretty neat and we got the original all the original voice actors from the old school cartoon to like reprise their roles so they could be our version of the turtles in this other dimension um but then with star wars it's just like you know we talk about arcs we say well we know we we want this to happen by the very end of the season this is where we want to put all these characters sort of like and, and we and we knew that like by the middle of the season we wanted this one event to happen and it would start impacting it would get you know it would uh, it would affect things and and so there's definitely like but it, but it's also like you know 
again, it can't get so caught up on itself. Like when you're writing an animated series, it can't be like you've got to watch every single episode before this to get what's going on. Because that, especially for the season one, you're you're never going to get new viewers if you if it's so tied up in itself. Like it's going to be so hard, even in this day and age of like binging. You know, it's still a network series. You know, it's like it's gonna it, it is going to be on TV. Um, it's not like it's going to be a Netflix series where all the episodes drop at once. So they right. can be as you know serialized as you want them to be. There's always a sense of like crap. We got to have this episode. We got to make sure that it's so not you know, tied up on itself that, like, no one's going to know what's going on coming in. <laughs> True. So that's the hardest part, really. Cool. So then, as far as, you know, writing for Star Wars, writing for TMNT, are you inspired by the writings of the originals? Does that um, inspire you or inform how you write? Yeah, I mean, there's always, like, especially when you're working on Star Wars and you're working with Dave Filoni, like, he really pushes you not to just repeat stuff that you've seen or that you know. like. You know, he doesn't want you, like, dropping dialogue from, like, the movies. He doesn't want, you know, like, a character to say, like... It's like, a trap or something Yeah, like it's that. a trap, or, uh, <laughs> you know, I've got a bad feeling about this, or, like, uh, you know, like, he doesn't want... He's just like, look, if you're going to write that, like, it's going to just feel like the character that you're writing saw the movies, and they're just repeating what you like. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, and it makes perfect sense. He was like, look, like, you know, he's like, like if the character starts repeating right, or if it's so on the nose, it's like, it's just going to feel like you're winking at the audience. Like, it's not right. going to feel like it's real or, you know, so I, I make sure that, you know, in, even even to have a character say, may the force be with you has to be at a very, you know, it's got to be at a very special time. You just can't have characters saying that, you know, every episode because it takes the specialness out of it. Like, it takes that emotional moment of when you hear that and it resonates, you know, it's like, it can't just be like, the equivalent of have a good day or, you know, good luck. It can't, it, it can't be like that. And he doesn't want you to just to repeat the same battles that you've seen before, or the same scenarios. He really like, if you, I don't know if you guys watch rebels, but like he did stuff in there that none of, none of the movies have done before. Like that he's breaking new ground. He's trying different things. You know, it's like, and that's, I think the way to approach it. Like that's the smartest thing you can do. If star Wars is going to live and grow and breathe and get bigger and, it's got to try different things. Now, most of the time, the, you know, I think a lot of the time, maybe the fandom doesn't like that. Like, I think there's a big percentage of the fandom that just kind of wants to relive the same types of moments over and over um, and see the same kind of thing. And if you start trying different things, then they react. I mean, we saw a lot of that with The Last Jedi, you know, versus like the sort of the, you know, something like The Force Awakens, which was, I think, a little bit in some fans, a little bit more in fans' comfort zones because it didn't, you know, you know, it did harken back to, to episode four. So, but for me, it's like, but I, I just think it's interesting, like what fans like and what fans are into. Um, I just think it's interesting, you know, like, and I understand nostalgia is like a very powerful, it's just a very, it's very, it's very powerful in general, right? Like, um, uh, and we see that, like the types of, you know, even the reaction to say to the new Transformers, you know, the Bumblebee trailer, you know, it's like people are like, yes, it's like, you know, and, and hey, I'm, I'm with them right there. <laughs> Believe me, I'm with them right there. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. It, it, it's like, you know, it's like that looks like G1 to me. And and, uh, and and I like it, too. So, you know, like I'm definitely not like disparaging the fans in any way. It's like what they like is what they like. And, you know, you're not going to change that. Uh, and, and I can I'm very much, you know, the same um, on, on, on various on various things. But, um, but yeah, but, so, but there's a real, you know, obviously with, with this, with this show, whereas with TMNT, like we kind of, I, 
hey, I, I did try and bring back the nostalgia factor was a big thing. Like, and I did bring back a lot of references, and I did, you know, I did have '80s and '90s characters show up into our version. And but that show was also specifically it was TMNT is a different animal, right? Like, you can kind of wink at the audience because that's just TMNT. Right. Like, that's just the fun of it. Like, you can do it. You never want to do that in Star Wars because it has a, a different kind of reality. It's like, it's more real. Like, you want to push the reality of it and the, you know, you never want characters winking at the audience. You don't want you don't want to make, you know, stormtroopers comedic or goofy or villains. You don't want to make your villains ever, like, goofballs. Um, so, it's every everything I've worked on, every franchise that I've worked on has its kind of its own sort of set of rules, its own sort of approach to the material, you know. And that's I think super important. Like like it's you can do one thing on one series, and then you go to another series, and you're like, ah, I gotta now this is a different approach. This is how I have to look at it. Like, and when we write Star Wars, you know, you know, we're, we're working on Star Wars. Like we do, we have to keep it to a certain degree real. Like that's because. And even if we have like some more comedic moments, you know, and uh, I think the, most of the comedy, you know, in Resistance was inspired by like Solo and some of the stuff in, you know, The Force Awakens. But it's definitely not a comedy. It's a mix of many things. Nowadays, you can't really have an animated series on television for kids that doesn't have an aspect of comedy. It's not like when I was growing up, like... You know, I watch cartoons like G.I. Joe and Transformers, and they even had comedic beats in there. But, it, you know, but some of those were like, were still played pretty straight. And kids nowadays, very different. Like, it's, it's, it's got to have some, there's got to be some aspect of comedy in it, or else they're not really interested and they just kind of tune out. So, and the idea is also we want to keep, we want to sort of indoctrinate little kids into Star Wars. Like, that's very important. We want to get kids involved. We want kids to watch the show and, like, and during our fan event, you know, the other day, like, kids just went crazy. Like, they went crazy for it. And then the older fans came up, and they were, like, so happy and so relieved, <laughs> and they were, like, so into it. Like, and we were, like, so we're, like, okay, this is great. This is what we want. We want, we want you know, older fans, and then we want little kids, and we want families. We want moms and dads to watch this with their kids and, 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 and get into it. Okay. So that's the goal. And where does the role of an executive producer slash head writer, where does your job end? Does it end at the season? Do you know if you're going to go on to the next season? How does that all kind of... Well, I mean, usually, like, when you're um, when you're writing on a show, like, usually you'll hear about, like, you know, you'll, you either get... It just really depends on, like, where you're, what studio you're working for, what show you're on. Like, you know, like, um, a lot of times we'll get greenlit even before we're finished with the writing. And then we'll start having to think about the next season. Or sometimes there's a bit of a hiatus, you know, like they'll test, they'll see how well it's doing. And then, and then you'll, you know, and then you'll find out if you're going to get greenlit for the next season. It really just depends from like, you know, show to show, like Nickelodeon, like we were getting greenlit, like, you know, left and right. Like we were just like, okay, I was like, you know, on some episode halfway through a season and we'd be like, yep, greenlit for the next season. I'm like, okay. And then there's no like downtime. It's just like, okay, jump back into it. Here we go new season and then by the time we got to the fifth season of tmnt you know we knew pretty much that i thought that we were going to end with four and i had actually planned it so that we ended you know shredder and splinter died at the end of season four so we were like this is it this is the final season <laughs> and then they're like no no no, we want to do one more season we're like but 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 everyone is dead <laughs> shredder is gone splinter is, is is gone how are we gonna do this like how is this gonna 
And then we figured out sort of ways of like just being able to tell stories sort of in groups. Like we did whole arcs of like, okay, like this particular arc is going to be about like um, Usagi Ojimbo, which is like this famous Japanese, uh, it's uh, by Stan Sakai, it's like this famous like um, samurai rabbit who's right. famously crossed paths with the turtles in comic books and even in the old animated shows like the 80s and the 2003 series. Um, and so we did a whole arc with the turtles going to Usagi Ujimbo's dimension and encountering like that whole world, which we based off of like, you know, Seven Samurai and, and like old school samurai films. It was a sort of a send up of all of that, but done very seriously, very like, very respectful. And Stan Sakai was so happy. He was like, this is the best version I've ever seen in animated form. And like, and he was totally blown away. Like it, <laughs> like made him teary eyed. And then we did some of these other arcs and that's how we, essentially did season five um just basically breaking it down arcs we even got kevin eastman you know eastman and laird we got kevin eastman to write an episode it was like a flashback the origin of like splinter and the little baby turtles how they survived early on um so you know we almost did these out of like like our linear stories series anymore it was like doing like it was called tales of the tmnt so which is different versions of tmnt um you know so Basically, it's like, sorry, it's a long answer of your question. But yeah, I mean, we um, we just sort of figure out like, you know, like we, we hope that we're always going to get another season, you know, until we kind of essentially say this is where we want to end it and hope that the network doesn't want to do more right. because it's, it's nice to sort of end it on your terms. What's your future goals? Do you want to direct major motion pictures? Do you want to stay in animated? What's your goal in the, in the long run? I mean, I kind of want to do it all. I mean, I love animation. I, I think animation is wonderful and, uh, and and can be beautiful if it's done right and, and can be really amazing. So I want to keep doing animation for sure. But I also want to write and direct, you know, low-budget sort of indie-type films that I have control over and that, you know, I don't have a ton of studio pressure. It's just the fun of making stuff because I, I still miss making low-budget kind of science fiction and horror-type projects. So I have a project I'm writing now um, on weekends when I'm not, you know, working on Star Wars, I'm doing my own thing. And it's a, like a horror project, super low budget, only a handful of actors. Um, yeah, and that's sort of my goal is that um, I'll be able to hopefully make that eventually. Um, and, and I'm also developing a couple of things on my own, some, some animated projects that are personal and, and uh, that aren't kind of big franchisey type things. But I still love all the, I mean, I still love the big franchise type properties too. I mean, you know, I got to write an episode of uh, this new Transformers animated uh, series that's coming out, um, you know, like as a, as a little one-off and, and uh, I got to do a couple of other little like sort of side um, animated things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it all. Like to me, it's not really so much the, the medium. It's just the storytelling and what you can get across. Like, it doesn't matter if it's animated, live action, comic book. I love all of those mediums. Uh, I love all that media. So, so you know, looking at your career now, do you have any specific words of wisdom? Do you have one thing that you'd say to an aspiring writer who's maybe just starting out or, you know, feeling the way you felt when you were a little bit kind of frustrated getting your, your foot in the door? What would you say to them um, if there was one learning kind of looking back? I would say... And you probably hear this a lot, but I would say, don't give up. Like, don't, if this is what you really want, if you really want to do this, 
don't give up. Keep writing and writing and writing and writing. Like I had, I had like, before I even got anywhere, like I had like 10 features that I had written, like 10, and none of them even got optioned. Like until it was down the line, then I started like, you know, but I, I for, for, for a few years I sat, like several years, I just sat on these scripts and you have to write to entertain yourself. Like for me, it was like, I had to do it. Like, and it was also a form of escape. And it was just like, and I, and I just figured, Hey, if nobody reads this, I'm reading it and I'm learning and I'm just enjoying it. Like, like you, you have to do it for yourself first, you know, you, and that's how you learn. That's how you grow. And you just can't give up. Like you can't, if, if you feel like, um, I don't know if this is for me or, um, you know, I'm getting frustrated. I don't want to do this anymore. It's just like, well, you've already picked your path. Like you've already, now you're on that path. You're on the path of saying, oh, I don't think it's going to work out for me and I'm just going to eventually give up and I'm going to work for whatever job that I don't really want to work because I want to write. Like you've got to like, even if it takes you, like, if this is what you truly want, even if it takes you 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, I know it sounds like, oh, I don't want to, you know, but you know, it, that, that's, that's what you have to do. Like that's, you have to become obsessed with it. So it becomes your life work, even if you're not getting money for it. If I wasn't getting paid, I would still be writing like, and, and, and holding down like whatever job I could to make as much time as I could for writing. Wow. So well yeah, said. That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, so real quick, we're basically going to wrap up, but before we do, are you down to answer what we like to call a series of seemingly random questions? Uh, sure. Okay. So the first one is, uh, in your Instagram bio, you describe yourself as a misfit. What does that mean? And in the case of yourself, who's obviously, you know, earned some success, does it pay to be a misfit? I think it always pays to be a misfit because the mo some of the most interesting, like, movies and TV shows are, like, created by, like, just, you know, just by, like, misfits and weirdos and, like, you know, punk rock, you know, like, sensibilities and you know what I mean? Like, um, I think it's really important to like not be mainstream because some of the coolest things come comes out of not being mainstream or not just being like, oh, I'm gonna just make the next rom com or I'm gonna just, you know, like I think I think we need weird, strange, unusual, different stories out there and and uh, with different points of view. Question two: If you could have dinner with any writer, living or dead, who would you choose and why? Oh man, that's. That's a that's a that's a tough one because I just have there's so many writers that like that I love. Um, I would say either William S. Burroughs or Adelis Huxley because those guys their 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 writing their their uh, their books were so you know influential on me like Brave New World you know Naked Lunch Junkie all those books like when I was a kid and I would read all this sort of like subversive literature like. Like, that's what I was really into. That's what I wanted to write. Like, and, and all my early stuff is, and probably the reason it didn't sell was because it was so out there. But those guys were massive influences on me. Question three. Has anyone ever told you that you can't be a writer or shouldn't be a writer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I heard that even from, like, my, you know, like, relatives. Like, just thinking it was not going to be possible. Like, it's just an impossible mountain to climb. You'll you'll always hear that. You'll always hear people saying, "Ah, it's not never going to work. It's too difficult. It's so hard to get your scripts sold." It's so of course it is. It's hard to do anything that's worthwhile. I mean, it's hard to like be a doctor. It's hard to you know like it's hard to be a a garbage collector. It's hard to do anything. You know what I mean? It's not easy. It's it's but 
it doesn't matter. Like if you believe in yourself, if you believe in what you're doing, if you have this drive and this focus, uh, to me, it just bounced right off me. I was like, okay, yeah, think what you want. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to work my ass off until something happens. And, and then eventually it did. Question four and the last question. What is something about your career that nobody knows? Hmm. Something about my career that nobody knows. That's a tricky one because generally, I mean, I'm pretty open about um, about my work. <laughs> probably a lot of, I think a lot of people don't know that I that I wrote a book adaptation um, for a movie company. Um, it was called uh, Darkness in Him, and uh, and it was this sort of it was about this college student that's trying that 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 um, that murders uh, his girlfriend. It's very dark. He's like his these big aspirations, and then. Um, he like accidentally kills this girl and, and it almost ruins his entire, like his entire academic career. And like what he's going to be this big shot lawyer or politician. And so he's just sort of trying to bury it. And uh, he's trying to, and, to, and just talking about it now, I'm like, wow, that just seems very relevant in today's day and age. Like somebody who's aspirational wants to get into politics that does something dark in college, you know, in school that like he's trying to bury, trying to hide. Like, um, yeah, I think actually now that story would be more relevant today than ever. Did that it never got made. It never yeah. got made. Wow. It never got made. It, it, we wrote it. I mean, I wrote it. We did several drafts. And it just kind of sat on a shelf. Like, it was just at the time, it was when the whole indie world was just sort of almost just sort of slowly shutting down. Like, and, and that company I worked for went belly up. Like, they folded. They did this movie, Akeel and the Bee, and then this was going to be next on their slate. And then... And the company just folded, like, because, you know, it was just too hard to, it's just, you know, it's difficult. Um, I don't know if that movie would even get made today, um, because it's such a hot topic, sort of politically, like, but back then it, it, it wasn't so much. Um, but today, definitely. And uh, I guess lastly, did you want to plug either, I guess, obviously, we want to plug Resistance, but anything you want to shout out? Yeah, I mean, I'm on uh, Instagram. If you look up Brandon Almon, um, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook. Mostly, I think a lot of, most of my, uh, fans follow me on Instagram where I post, you know, uh, Star Wars related stuff, TMNT related stuff, you know, writer related stuff. Um, but yeah, if you just look up, I think it's Brandon.Amon, but you'll see me. I'm the, I'm the guy in the little cap, but, uh, but yeah, add me, hit me up. I, I like to answer, you know, questions, especially for writers that, you know, want to break in. Like I'm always, you know, I'm always on Instagram, like, like answering questions or trying to do what I can because I was there. Like I, you know, and I still feel there. Like, I, you know, I still, there's still things that I want to do that I haven't done yet. So it's like, it's always a struggle no matter what. Like, and I talk to filmmakers, writers who are much bigger than I am, you know, doing like big features or whatever. And they, they still, you know, they still feel frustrated. They want to direct their movies and they're not getting the shot. They may be writing like big time features but they still want to direct their own thing or they want to just get their own personal projects made and they're frustrated as well. So the frustration part, I don't think ever really ends, <laughs> but, but that's also a fuel for the fire, right? Like, I mean, so no matter what, just know that like that there are other, that there are so many people like that, that are there with you and that, um, but you just can't give up. Like that's, I'd like to leave it at like, don't give up, follow your dream. I know it sounds cliche, but just work your ass off. And do it for yourself. Just keep writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. Don't stop writing. If, if, if your job doesn't let you write, but you want to write, if you can, find another job. <laughs> or just take, uh, just spend your entire weekend writing and, 
And if and if writing is like the if if you feel like this the writing is like the greatest thing that you can do, like if you feel like oh I'd rather be writing than anything else, I'd rather be writing than 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 watching a movie or 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 you know taking this little trip or whatever, I'd rather be in front of my computer writing. That's one of the things that's that you'll know that then you know like that's you found you found it you found your niche like you found you found your bliss and that's what you should be following. Wow, we have to end it on that. We have to. We have to. Well, with that said, um, I guess that's our time. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us. Of course. No problem. It was um, a pleasure. Definitely. Uh, let's keep in touch and uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.